fucking man. man. The myth, the legend. Who are you Aaron. talking about? You, brother. Shit. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man. So you're you're the the real estate guru here in Columbus. <sighs> Can we go with Duru? You know, because short term rental king right here. That's Harry what I'm talking Summers. about. Please, that that's my hopes and dreams right there. Want to be the SFR? What what is that? STR. STR. STRK. That's right. That's right. Dude, let's talk about, we we're talking offline here, uh, kind of your journey, how you're, you're sitting here today. You have hundreds of properties and things have not always been this way for you, right? You've genuinely grinded to get where you are. And I think that's a huge common misconception in today's world, especially in current times of social media, entrepreneurship, especially investing, uh, but specifically with real estate. Yeah, I mean, for look, sure. You were that guy that was a nine to five and- and one day you made a quantum leap of yeah. just saying, yo, I'm going all in on real estate. I'm going all in on my business. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, man. I think everything today is instant potatoes or instant pudding or whatever your instant Raymond's or whatever. I ate a lot of Raymond's too. Still eat that shit. Um, but uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I was uh, in the fitness industry for four years, worked my way up in that company, um, made good money for you know a 23, 24 year old kid at the time. Um, but you know, the whole, and I'm sure everyone's got a story like this where, you know, they had to work 14, 16, 18 hour days, did that for four years. Um, ended up buying 16 rental properties, uh, left there. And I wanted to continue to be able to get finance to buy more rental properties. So I went to Chase Bank, which I assumed was like the most corporate W2 place that you could get a job to continue to get finance for more rentals. Um, and then after like, I don't know, like four or five months, ended up putting a string of deals together of 16 different properties, a triplex in Asheville, Ohio. It's actually on the main drag of Asheville, Ohio. Fun fact too, the oldest standing structure in Asheville, Ohio, in Pickaway County, Ohio, is on my property. It's an old barn built in like 1790 or 18, I don't even know. They won't let me tear it down. But anyways, um, closed on all those deals, walked in next day, quit my job. And then I used my income that the bank didn't know about to buy a boat the next day on that Monday. And I uh, still have that boat. It's been a- There we go. It's not much of an asset, but thought it was going to be. About another thousand, what they say for a boat? Yeah, build out another, you know, 10,000. I mean, shit, it's, this thing, uh, I, I'm like, yeah, we'll take up people up and down the side of the river and didn't realize that you can't really do that because our water sucks in yeah. Columbus. So yeah, that's a bad investment. Don't tell investors that. But yeah, I think one thing you said is super key is people that are trying to get from that like nine to five- into investing and, and leaving that nine to five, yeah. especially in real estate, they can leverage that nine to five, that W-2 job because they have to get qualified for loans, right? Unless for you're sure. paying cash, unless you're able to, you know, raise private money, whatever it may be. You have connections. Yeah. All that stuff, right? It's very rare, right? Yeah. Like in reality, you're going to have to do that first deal right alongside someone passively, yep. uh, partner with people. But if you're trying to get your first deal yourself, again, I think a huge mistake or common misconception is they're trying to leave that nine to five too soon versus yo leverage that W2 so you can go to the bank or go to the lender and they look at your credit, your income, your assets. It's a smoother yes. process. You have something dependable. Exactly. Because yeah, the bank's always got to hang their hat on something. And you know, whether that's your credit, you know, uh, liquidity, which when you're starting, you have none, mm -hmm. uh, your, your assets, your personal financial statement, experience. I mean, there's all these different factors. So one of the things that banks look at the most is do you have predictable income? that's been seasoned for, you know, two plus years. And I think too many people just want to jump and leap. And then they realize, oh, no one's going to finance me because I don't have anything predictable, right? My life's in chaos and banks want things that are very, right? So. Well, with what's going on with banks now, I think we're in a very <laughs> unique time. But you know, like even 10 years ago when I was, yeah. you know, getting finance, banks weren't lending. Yeah. You know, there was an, uh, an abundance of deals, but there was no money. Mm -hmm. Hard money wasn't a thing. People lending out private money. Everyone was just doing this with money. Yeah. I mean, it just, it didn't exist. And so now you kind of have this, this, I guess, the last year or two, the script's been flipped where there's no deals, but there's all this money chasing too few deals. And now you're starting to see this credit crunch to where we still don't have that deal flow yet. And both of them can't happen simultaneously. So it's going to be interesting what happens because we have, we still have too few deals and now we're starting to get money that's drying up. I mean, it's like common sense. What do you think is going to happen, right? There's going to be more deals. So is that where you think we're at in the state of the market? Like if you could predict the next 24 months, right? We're in 2023, going to 2025. What do you think is going to be 
a couple of strategies or just things to think about. And, and to add further context to this is if you bought a deal from, I mean, really 2008, but let's just say like in 2017 to 2022, everyone was doing the Burr strategy. Yeah. You buy it, you renovate it, you rent it out, you refinance and you repeat. That was a sexy topic. You, you could buy damn near any type of real estate property and it was borderline impossible to screw it up. Yeah, depending on the market, right? I mean, just as long as you're not investing in, you know, in San Francisco or, you know, some of these other high price markets. But yeah, I mean, one way or another, you were going to make some money. Yeah, but now, now where, where do you think, where do you think we're at now? So, I, I mean, everything's market dependent too. You just broke the damn chair. Did I, is that your chair or my chair? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope I'm good. Hope I don't fall out like Zach, what's his name? Calif. Galifianakis when he oh. <laughs> fell out of his chair on his show. Um, Dude, his show's hilarious. But like, if you look at anything like west of the Mississippi, those markets are all like, even in Texas, because they went up so much. But if you look east of the Mississippi, uh, you know, maybe Kansas City, St. Louis, disincluded, but uh, generally speaking, east of the Mississippi, I mean, these markets are still kind of holding up to some degree, you know, with the exception of like New York City and Chicago and the outliers, right? But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, going back to, 10 years ago, I mean, there was deals, no money, but now you have all this money that's starting to dry up. So what's all, what's got to happen? There's going to be more deals to be had because people can't borrow money to fix up their house. People can't borrow money when a tenant goes in and destroys their property and you know causes 20 grand worth of damage in six months. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, if you got an Airbnb bust that's, you know, went bust, like you can't go back and, and sell it. So then you're screwed. Where's this money coming from? And if you don't have any money, this is going to cause more deals to, to pop up. And I think basically what you're saying, west of the Mississippi versus east of the Mississippi, which we're in lovely Columbus, Ohio. Come check it out. The beaches are great. It's sunny. Come to my short-term rentals. Don't go to Terry's. Mine are way better. Oh, um, absolutely. Look at the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I have great drinking glasses. Uh, that's a side joke. I have wine glasses, bourbon <laughs> glasses, but no drinking glasses. So it's a one star. But I think what you're saying is just affordability. Right. Like, I think that's why obviously we're both very biased on Columbus and Central Ohio, because I think a few things, one, common sense, a large piece of our net worth, our time, our energy, our resources, our connections are here. So we're going to be by human nature, just more biased in our backyard. For sure. But when we're looking at legitimate data analytics, I mean, there's jobs here, it's affordable. Um, You know, we didn't have 400% growth, right? We just consistent growth year after year. But specifically in Central Ohio and Columbus, as a seasoned investor, what are you looking at as far as like, okay, here's how we're going to make a quantum leap. Basically is going to be the equivalent growth of what we did the last 10 years in the next two to three years. Yeah. So, I I mean, a couple of things too. Like when I got into specifically real estate, you know, my time horizon was, you know, 10 plus years. It wasn't, I want to get out of this in two years or three years. So I'm looking at 10 plus years, 20 years. So I think if you have a long enough time horizon, like you're going to be successful. Even a bad deal, give it 20 years, can eventually become a good deal, right? You give it enough time. But, uh, you know, especially in, in this market specifically, and if I was to invest in another market, I'm looking at, are there jobs? Is there growth? Is there like a, thinking like a banker, right? Mm-hmm. I want to alleviate risk. And how do you do You got to make sure there's jobs, there's colleges providing jobs. These are in healthcare, they're in banking, which we have insurance, which sure as shit ain't going nowhere. Um, So you have these predictable companies that have been around for many, many years that provide all these jobs. Naturally, where are people going to go? And and also forward thinking, right? Like you got the Intel project coming in. We have all these data centers out, um, you know, New Albany and Licking County area. But that's not even getting into that. I mean, yeah, that's it's wild. Yeah, that's that's when you're looking at a market looking to invest you know, most people should be thinking, at least in my opinion, like what, how am I safe and secure first, yeah. right? Like how, how do I have a roof over my head first? And those markets, like you said, are education, finance, insurance, pillars of an economy that's yeah. never going to go anywhere. But then it's also what are some markets that are forward thinking? That's why we saw Southern Florida, Austin, Texas, uh, you know, Vegas, obviously tax reasons, yeah. but they had forward thinking jobs coming in and you know, entrepreneurs that were coming in, high income earners doing forward thinking things. For sure. But you have to look too, I mean, this is getting kind of deep into it, um, but look at the stock market. What companies are the first to go? They're the tech companies that don't make any money. Mm -hmm. They're just built on the fact and the hope that they're going to be worth more one day. And that's why they have these insane valuations. Mm -hmm. And if your whole economy is propped up on companies that don't cash flow, that don't make money, 
what are going to be the first companies to go and start clipping people, mm-hmm. right? That's why you're seeing San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Now we have Silicon Heartland, Columbus, yeah. right? Um, but Silicon you know, Corn Valley is so, what I like to call it. We'll go. We'll go with that. Like we'll go that. with that. <laughs> yeah. Let's but go. you know the the you know as you look at the stock market. You want companies that are cash flowing, right? Especially in a bad economy. Like you're, you're looking at maybe an AT&T or a JP Morgan Chase. You know, you're looking at things that are going to be more safe. And if you have those companies in your city, that's a good thing. Very macro thinking. But if you're looking at a market, like look at the companies that are there. Are they going to be standing 20 years from now? Mm-hmm. Then if you have a 20-year time horizon with real estate, chances are your real estate is going to be safe, right? So what kind of deals do you like to buy? I heard you're quite the... Uh apartment developer. Dude, I, I, I love apartments. I love them. <laughs> no, you know what, man? It's like, I just, for me, you know, I'll get online and I don't, I, I don't bash apartments. I bash people who bash other people in the way that they make money. So like, if you make money doing junkyards, dude, great. That's awesome, right? If you have a massive commercial cleaning company, it might not be the sexiest company in the world, but some of the biggest and best co- best companies in the world are ones that aren't sexy, right? Mm-hmm. Grant Cardone and everyone else has made apartments look so sexy, right? Mm-hmm. And so everyone wants to get into it. And, you know, I got into the single family rental game and it, A, it was what I knew, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't able to raise money and um, didn't have the connections and the people in order to do these big apartment buildings. But also too, when I started, when I started owning apartments and houses and I had a 50, 50 mix of both, I'm like, where am I making my money? I was making my money in my houses, not in the apartments, you know, the apartments. Uh, and I actually sold most of my apartment. The largest unit I got right now is a 16 unit. I just, I sold them all because what someone else was willing to pay versus the cash flow it was giving me were two completely different numbers. And so you know, you make money in real estate, what, five ways. I mean, you make money on the spreads, you make money on the advantages and taxes, you make money on the leverage, you make money on the appreciation, and you make money on the dividends and the cash flow. So for me, like, I think people look at real estate one-dimensionally just on the cash flow, mm-hmm. where I'm looking at it, how much debt am I paying down every month? Mm-hmm. How much is this appreciating? Is it in path of progress? You know, uh, we was talking offline about, you know, some of the bonus depreciation stuff that you can do yeah. with certain types of real estate. Like, that's a huge, huge uh, tax savings. And when you compound that, all that stuff together, you got to look at your, your deal kind of almost like five dimensionally, not yeah. just on the cash flow. Yeah, which is why I personally love, love real estate myself. I think other asset classes, I'm a big believer in you know, digital assets, specifically Bitcoin. I believe in stocks. I believe in insurance. I believe in other ways that you can leverage those asset classes to accumulate more real yeah, estate. Yeah, hell yeah especially if you are classified as a real estate professional and you meet the qualifications of the IRS, you can do cost segregation studies, bonus depreciation. There's just massive tax write-offs for you. I want to say have like a, a cushion in the deal, but you essentially do have a cushion in the deal to say, okay, well, worst case scenario, if we bought it at the wrong price, it doesn't cash flow. We have too many expenses, X, Y, Z. I can write off these, these things, right? I can leverage these tax benefits by design to cover my ass if we, if we make, a bad decision. Yeah. Especially if you have other income. Exactly. You know, um, dude, if you have other income and you own real estate, that's why all you see a lot of billionaires not getting rich in real estate and making their money in real estate. But once they get rich, what do they do? They invest in real estate. Yep. So I I always say like, if you want to be a billionaire, go in tech, go into something that's hot, something that's going to have massive growth, maybe not cash flow for many, many years, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can sell it at a huge multiple at some point, you know, but if you want to get rich for sure, you know, the car done thing. If you want to get rich for sure, yeah. uh, real estate's kind of the way and you easiest business in the world to become a millionaire, one of the most difficult to become a billionaire. But for most people, people aren't trying to be a billionaire. People are trying to figure out how to pay their bills. People are trying to figure out how can I just make 10 grand a month or, you know, it, I mean, it's for most people, it's those little things. Yeah, it's usually three things with money that I believe in is how do you make it? How do you keep it? How do you compound it? So one, do you have a skill set that you can actually monetize? If you do, great, double down there. And you can see and track, hey, I'm actually making 20, 30, 40, 50% income year after year. It's going to be very, very difficult to make that amount of money investing. But then once you start making that income, yeah, you start compounding. Yeah. Exactly. But this thing called the IRS and taxes come in, you, how do I keep this? How do I compound it? Well, I got to start putting it into things that give me a tax advantage, aka real estate. So yeah. I like what you said there. So you have a, 
you know, a community here in Columbus and, you know, throughout the United States, your, your scalers, uh, mastermind program. Uh, what, what have you recognized is valuable about that group, right? People coming in with maybe zero money, zero experience all the way to people that do have experience. They do have money, right? Yeah. What are you noticing that is valuable? So about that group? one, we don't take anyone that hasn't done deals. Like, like you said, you know, you have to make it, you've got to keep it and then you got to grow it. We're looking for people that want to keep it and grow it. Um, I'm not looking for people that are just starting out making it. I just, I don't, it's not going to provide them any value at that juncture in their career. Um, uh, but you know, one of the biggest things, especially with real estate wholesaling, I see a ton of real estate wholesalers and it, they get into real estate and they, they understand that, Hey, wholesaling, I can make these 10, $20,000 checks, but then they realize it's a hamster wheel. I got, I'm just moving on to that next deal. Then they start looking at people that are flipping houses. Like, oh, this dude made 50K on this. I only made 10. They start counting people's pockets and guess mm -hmm. what they start doing? They start flipping houses. Then they become flippers and they're like, oh man, I just, I just sold this for 50 grand. If I would have held on to this for three years, it would have been, I would have made 150 grand. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, now I want to learn how to own properties. And, you know, I think that you got to have a mixed tool bag for sure. But for most people that are wealthy in real estate, they own stuff. Mm -hmm. or they've made enough money to where they're the bank and they lend. It's kind of the pinnacle of real estate is lending and owning stuff. Yep. So uh, for, for scalers, for, for us, it's how do we figure out how to systemize the process, be able to run an organization, actually have a fully integrated real estate operation. Mm -hmm. And some people just want freedom to be able to go to Mexico and F yeah. off and do what they want to do. Some people want to have a massive team and be able to grow something to pass down. Mm -hmm. um, everyone has their different goals and objectives, but really what it boils down to is how do we get these people to ownership mm -hmm. and owning their assets and then learning and understanding how to manage those assets. Because a, a lot of people will say, man, like buying's the, you know, it's all in the buy, right? I'm yeah. like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like you got to manage that deal. And that's the part that everyone forgets about is you got to manage this shit too. Yeah. And one thing you said off camera too, I think is super valuable way more valuable than people realize, especially if they're just getting started and scaling, is the value of partnerships, the power of leverage. I think life and business and investing is using other people's money and other people's time. Yep. So if they can come to the program and they have a couple, uh, they have a couple properties already and they're like, yo, I need to, I need to double my passive income, but I don't really know because I don't have that much money, don't have that much time. They can come to the community and partner with you or partner yeah. with somebody else. For sure. Right. So I think investing is all about investing in who and what you know. It's helping people in that community do more deals together. For sure. One dude, 1000%. You know, we actually, we recorded a show uh, last night with, uh, uh, with our guys and we were talking about, you know, how, especially in the education space, it seems like everyone's an, an educator. Everyone's a self-help. Everyone's, yeah. you know, a real estate wholesaling expert, you know, um, like Austin Rutherford, that guy expert, man. He's dude. He's a, uh, he's crushed it, man. Last 10 years. It's shout out to Austin, by the way. It he's is. A, he's a savage dude to see what that dude's done in the last 10 years is absolutely unbelievable. But you know, you have some people that are in the space and you know, they're, they, they, they have to make money on education. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I'm like, I don't, what I need as this company, this newfound scalers only. And what I'm looking to get out of this is I want you guys to be successful so I can lend you money. I want, I want you to be successful so I can be your partner, you know? And at the price points, like I'm not trying to get rich off you guys. I'm trying to get wealthy with you guys over the long haul, over the next yeah. 10, 20 years. And, you know, I'm very transparent about that. And like, you got something, boom, let's figure out how we do it together. Yeah. Let's figure out how to partner, you know, lending partnership, you know, using my, picking my brain, using my mindset on a deal or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another thing too, you know, you, you mentioned money and time, but I mean, there's certain skill sets that you have. I mean, we were talking about crypto earlier and I'm just like, what the hell did you just say? So like, you know, like piggybacking off someone's mindset is super important too. Um, I think that's part that we forget. And sometimes we get too egotistical and we're like, oh, I know everything. And, yeah. or you're scared to let other people know that you don't know everything. Yeah. But being able to piggyback off someone's mindset too is, is, is huge. Yeah. Not everything works for everyone. Right. So it's like, Hey, I found my system process that aligns with my lifestyle, aligns with my goals and uh, everything else will kind of work itself out. Right. So uh, for you, what are the kind of deal, like what's a good deal to you? I mean, you don't have to give like exact numbers. Yeah, that, I mean, like what's, if someone's listening, right. And they're like, yeah. I got a couple deals or I'm, I'm looking to get some deals. Uh, what makes you go, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. 
So now we build out a calculator, um, this massive Excel, this massive Excel sheet that basically turns red or green. Mm -hmm. And so one of them is if we were going to sell that property, you know, or, or are we getting a, you know, 15 to 20% um, return? Cool. Great. And that means I'm better off running my business than putting money in the market. You know, on rentals, I mean, I've always lived by the $500 a month rule, $500 per, per door when it, after you pay your PITI. If you can do that, like you're going to most likely be able to carry that property through, through good times and bad. Um, so after they pay their, their mortgage, their interest, the principal, taxes. the interest, the taxes, the insurance, if you've got at least $500 sitting there, mm -hmm. you've got enough to divvy up between management, CapEx, generally speaking, right? You buy an old house in Cleveland, Ohio that was built in 1880 and flooded four times. That's probably not going to work out for you over the long haul, right? It's going to be a lot tougher to hold on to that thing. But, and we've got a buy box too that's, you know, I think it's like 10 or 11 different criteria that uh, a property has to meet in order for us to buy it. And really what it's been is like, I'm like, oh shit, we've we fucked up on this property. It's like, oh shit moment. I'm like, oh shit, screwed up here. Put, add it to the buy box. You know, like we had a well and septic house that I think we ran over like $45,000 or something stupid. I'm like, well, we're not doing that again. Yeah. So then cross that, not buying well and septic. This is one too. Like uh, we, we have this, this funny one. It's called built in a neighborhood by a builder. For instance, we were, we were, uh, we bought this one property and it, everything comped to this neighborhood that was, you know, every house looked the same. These brick, brick I think it was like these brick ranches that were uh, 1400 square feet, you know, windy streets. Mm -hmm. And then you have this house that's on the same street, but it's like a dead end road where there's like two houses that were built. And like, I don't go and see these properties. I don't walk inside. I don't, yeah. you know, just as long as it meets criteria and we didn't have that piece of criteria in there. So what do we have to compare to is all these houses that were built in a neighborhood by a developer, by a builder, permits were pulled. This house was, we, it was like a hodgepodge. It'd been built onto like 74 times. Yeah. Just di every floor was like a different level. You start uncovering things. It's just one of those like Joe buys houses, uh, houses and yeah. yeah, we screwed up. So just different things like that. You start figuring out like, man, okay, we weren't as profitable on this deal. Let's add this to the Bible. And you just start tightening that thing up to where you don't have those oh shit moments. Absolutely. And how are you, I'm sure it varies per deal, but for the most part, are you raising like private money, doing private money and hard money? Are you paying cash? Again, I'm sure it varies per deal. Oh dude, it's all, yeah, all yeah. three, right? Yeah. Yeah. So are you curious on what's going to happen with, with banks, the US dollar collapsing, um, you know, because you're one of the very few that has experience a decade ago when there was a yeah. housing financial crash, right? So are you saying, all right, I'm going to buy this deal. I used to buy it at 75% ARV minus rehab cost, raise private money, use hard money, essentially 100% finance a deal. You have margin yep. built in once you refi tenants in there. Yep. Boom, pay back the investor. Ideally have some more profit tax-free. Worst case, you break even. Worst, worst case, you leave some money in the deal, mm -hmm. but you have $500 of cash flow. You know that you're going to get that X amount of money you kept in the deal in X amount of time. Right now, with banks not likely lending for 75% loan to value, realistically, maybe- It's 70. 70 or, or 65. 65, yeah. Uh, higher interest rates. Yeah. Um, are you creatively financing deals? Are you looking at deals a little bit differently? I think, yeah, so differently. Um, I, so I used this term earlier, path of progress. I never bank on appreciation, but I want to be in a neighborhood in an area that I believe in over the long haul. It needs to be an area that in 10 years, I'm happy to own it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, if you're just buying cash flow, you're going to buy shitty properties yeah. because they cash flow way better. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to take less cash flow knowing that I, I'm, I'm glad I own this thing in 10 years, right? It's not banking on appreciation. I just want to be in the path of progress. Um, so I'm definitely looking at that. Creative finance for sure. Like the seller finance stuff is definitely coming back. I mean, if someone's got a 3% mortgage, why am I going to pay that off and pay six or seven? Um, but another thing too, man, is I don't think we talk about this enough is the, the whole banking sector in itself. Mm -hmm. Like these small local community banks, not these regionals that are failing, yeah. that have made bad decisions, but these small mom and pop local community banks, they have to do business with small local operators that are in their area and their network, right? That's how they make money and margin. So I'm always a big fan of like, 
use your, what they say, like you dig your well before you need it type thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, anyone that's listening, paying attention, like you need to meet all these community banks because they need to do business with you mm -hmm. and they have to know, like, and trust you, you know, you need to go. But what's cool is like, you can go to a, a golf tournament and shake hands with the CFO. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go to a, a, a community bankers association meeting and meet the president. Right. And I don't understand why a lot of people don't do that. Sorry to interrupt you there, but really quick on that, that, that is something I wish I would have done way sooner in my career because I come from a five-year background in mortgages. So that's what got me started yeah, right. in real estate, right? Is like, all right, 99% of the time, no matter if they're local, regional, or a huge lender, they're going to be looking at these areas, credit, income, assets, experience, uh, you know, the things that we had mentioned earlier. But the local banks probably know the market better than you. and They probably know it better than all the other investors as well. And or they can say, hey, you don't qualify because of X, Y, Z. Now you have that information to know exactly what they're looking for. And then you can go partner with somebody or they can say, Hey, I think you might, I think you might like this guy, Terry. Yeah. I think you guys should meet up. Let me, let me call him up. See if he's cool. Introducing you guys. Yep. Right. So that's one thing is dude, they're not getting paid unless they're closing, unless loans. they're closing deals. Yeah. So and they're going to help you. Yeah. And they'll tell you the sandbox that they play in. They'll be like, hey, you know, unfortunately our committee is looking at this deal or you or whatever, and they don't necessarily like this. I think this lender is willing to take this risk on this. Dude, they'll introduce you to the next lender. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is just show up. Yeah. Pick up the phone, call them, be involved. What? But, but yeah, going back to your, your banking thing, I just, I think that, you know, um, I mean, I used banks before it was like the cool thing. And- we're going to get back to being able to need these small local community banks. Um, I just, I don't know why more people don't leverage them. Yeah. Do you think that we're going to see like a, a separation in the banking side where it's going to be, you basically use a local bank that no one knows about other than people in your city, or you're going to be using JP Morgan Chase, this huge, Dude, they're all you know, getting, great a they're all getting, so look at, so banks uh, in our market, Columbus, Ohio, I remember, and like, for instance, I have a community banking course that um, I'm getting ready to release. And in this course, I'm like, one of the 10 interview questions is, is your bank going to be around long-term? Because I've had loans where like, uh, there was a bank in, it was called Citizens Bank of Asheville, Ohio. I did a, I don't know, a couple of properties with them. I would get a list of their uh, foreclosures. I'd work out deals with them on, on uh, their bad list. And that was a good thing for about a year until my loans got transferred to the bank that they got bought out at. Guess what happened to the bank they got bought out at? Like they, they were starting to find loan covenants and things I was doing wrong and definitely like cut me off. So I knew that, man, this is like a dead end road. So I think you're going to start seeing that more and more banks that took too much risk, that leveraged too much, tied up their money too long. And now interest rates are what, uh, five to five and a half now. They're getting smoked and then they're just going to get consolidated by bigger and bigger banks. Another thing that sucks too is, you know, these banks have to, have to they're regulated the same way big banks are. So we look economies, they don't have economies of scale. So like they're struggling to, to keep up, man. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. Like the likelihood of them getting bailed out versus, you know, yeah. Chase or a big bank is very slow. Yeah. If your bank has savings and loan in the name, yeah. you're not getting bailed out. Yeah. You're getting bought. Yeah, exactly. Blackstone's coming in. I think one thing that I've noticed from a distance is I kind of like watching your progress over the years is you seem very like hands-on right? Vertically integrated. I think that's what's going to be very interested or interesting to me. And I've even had these hurdles as well, thankfully, like put a lot of systems, processes, things sure. in place. Point I'm getting at is management. Mm. Like, again, I think genuinely a good market covers up a lot of mistakes. There's some deals that I bought, some things I've done them where I'm like, holy shit. But I, I knew in the back of my mind, right, to cover my ego here, I was like, yo, I think we're in a very unique time where appreciation of real estate is going to be once in a lifetime. I'm going to buy everything. Yeah. But then I was building that buy box, that experience. Like how do I get 40 years of real estate investing experience in two years? But yeah. now I think we're going to see where a lot of people like me were buying maybe even more deals. They, they were going in to huge acquisitions. Yeah. Now it's turning into a management game. Yeah, it is. And uh, the best managers are going to win. Mm -hmm. because especially when, as the more and more things slow down, like we haven't even seen what's going to happen, the ripples in the economy yet. You know, job losses are barely happening now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, dude, it might be a year or two before we see any, any of these effects. But, you know, if all you have, if you're not buying deals and you're not capturing any appreciation in real estate, 
How are you making money? You're making money on the cash flow. If you're not managing, you don't have cash flow. And if you can't borrow money, what's going to happen? Those are going to turn into deals for somebody else because you're going to sell at a discount. So for me, man, like the, I always say that, ma that good management always trumps everything. Like, and if that's something you have to do yourself and build it out yourself, um, then that's something you need to do. Or if you can't find a good manager, then you're going to have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like me personally, I'm not like, I don't get a call from a tenant ever. I don't go to properties or any of that stuff, but you need to put people processes and systems in place. So that way that part is kind of taken care of. And plus too, if you look at like outsourcing anything in any company, mm -hmm. like you're going to pay a premium for it. But mm -hmm. if you keep it in house, what's going to happen? You clip more margin there, right? I mean, even like uh, I was watching, uh, it was like some show about a restaurant here. He owned like 70 restaurants or something like that. And he's looking at his line items on his P&L and he's like, I'm spending how much on soap? He's like, F this, I'm buying a soap company. Mm -hmm. But you look, now he's making margin on the soap that he's putting in his 70 restaurants. And so you just start vertically integrating all this crap. And I mean, that's where you really make money, you know, but you have to get some type of level of scale to be able to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just got to put in the work, right? Like I'm a little that, bit. That's, that's a new concept, work. Yeah, it's a little Oh, weird, wow. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you spell that? Just, so, you know, for a lot of people that, that uh, listen. I don't know. It's like LBGQ or, I never mind. That's a different, uh, different uh, topic. Yeah. We'll, we'll get on that on another show. Uh, anyways, ooh, gotta be careful of that one. Yeah. What is the, the biggest mistake that you've made that you're like, oh, shoot, I make it a point to mention this to anyone and everyone that asks for advice in real estate. For me, it is that safety security. First investment property I bought 2016, had recently dropped out of college, lived in one side, rented out the other, did the house hack model. That's awesome. Someone came in, lit my property on fire. Again, a story for another day. But thankfully I had entities set up, the right insurance. Yeah. I went through interrogation for you know arson fraud, insurance fraud. I was a full year of chaos, right? Obviously I proved that I had nothing to do with yeah. it, but that is the number one thing I start with, right? If I'm raising money or I'm structuring a deal, it's like, okay, if the place burns down, if people die, like what's the worst case scenario? Okay, making sure that these boxes are checked first. Yeah, I mean, dude, we had, we had someone die last week. I mean, it's, and he didn't, he definitely didn't pay rent. So like, I mean, this, this shit happens. Mm -hmm. um, you just don't want to have shit happens and party naked at the same time. You got to set your shit up, right? So, you know, it, I, I've always been big on setting up entities from, from jump. You know, I've heard of people like, you always hear stories of other people. Hey, yeah, I own these things. My personal name X happened and I lost everything mm -hmm. or you know, uh, just store. So you want to set up all your LLCs and all that stuff, but that's the biggest mistake. I mean, I would have said learning how to borrow private money earlier was, I mean, if I would have learned that skill set in when deals were plentiful, mm -hmm. even though it wasn't even like a thing back then, like, dude, holy smokes. Dude, I, right? I, mean, like I was using all community banks for, for the purchase. They weren't giving me the rehab. I'm funding the rehab, then having to refinance. I would have... Psh, would have had an extra four or five years of real estate under my belt and, you know, or if, you know, just making connections in that way. Right. So. Yeah. That's, if I had to guess, that's what I was kind of thinking. I feel like private money and doing syndication projects and creative financing, like that's not a new topic or a new way of, of doing real estate, but there's definitely like laws and regulations and things in place that definitely have changed over the last decade. For sure. Um, but again, outside looking in, I was, I was assuming that like, you know how to buy, you know how to get deals, you've built the network, you've done these these things, but usually it's how do you find a deal? How do you fund it? How do you manage it? What's what's your exit strategy? Yeah. So for you, what is uh what is your exit strategy? What do things look like here for you? Dude, it's um it's it, it's different by deal. Um I think one of the cool things about the sing, the single family real estate space is that, you know, and well, when funds come back, you can package it up, sell it to a fund right? Sell it to private equity like you would a, a real business. Mm -hmm. and You get a multiple on it. You could say, you know what, this building's in path of progress. If I can sell it to an owner occupant for way more than what the cash flow is going to be. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in the right place, I hang on to it for three years. Miraculously, you come into a couple hundred G's. So I, I think it's deal by deal. But the cool thing is that you can select mm -hmm. and you, you own an apartment complex. I can't say, hey, Tyler, I'm going to sell you this one unit, this apartment complex. I mean, you can technically on paper, right? And 
ownership percentage. But if I'm like, hey, I just want to sliver off this one property or these five or whatever, I can do that anytime, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's one of the cool things with the type of real estate that I buy mostly, but I'm not knocking on other types of real estate either. I think there's just a time and place for all assets. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that Again, I'm definitely way more like the syndication model, bigger deals. Yeah. I'd rather own a smaller chunk of something bigger, right? But a lot of people don't realize in the single family, a lot of people that went from single family to apartment is because they got crushed. They had their properties all over the place. It wasn't managed correctly. Yep. Uh, they just did a lot of things incorrectly. Yep. And then obviously the, the market collapsed. But not many people realize mm -hmm. with single family, you can have a thousand, two thousand doors, four thousand doors, and you can package them up either as one big deal yep. or section them out and sell them to the market. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to uh, the international single family rental conference down in Miami. I'm speaking there again. And this is, I think my fifth or sixth time speaking and majority of the people that are there are all hedge funds looking for people like me. They can say, Hey, you got a couple hundred units or whatever. Let's buy you out. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons I continue to go. Um, because there's very few people that have done the work to build that up mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, have that big exit at some point. And then you can choose, you can roll it into something else, roll it into bigger buildings, chill, put your money in the market, make your 5% on your T-bill, whatever. But it just, it gives you a little bit more options than, you know, say if you, for instance, if you're part of a syndication and again, time and place for everything, but if you're part of a syndication, and you're waiting to hit your IRR in three to four years, well, guess what? Your money's tied up. It's a liquid. It's dead mm -hmm. for three to four years. But in my space, I can say, hey, in three to four days, I can, you know what? I'm going to crunch it. You know what? I'm going to sell this thing. I can sell, I can fire sell it in two weeks. I can put it on the market and sell it. And, you know, I mean, shit, it'll sell in two weeks here now. Yeah. Right. Um, it just, it just gives you a little bit more options. But one of the, one of the bad things too, is when people get too many options, what do they do? They choose none. So yeah. what do you think with home prices here in central Ohio and Columbus interest rates? Do you think that we still have pretty consistent growth? I, I would have been in Key West if I didn't think so. I mean, I, I, I really think that, I mean, you look at like the Intel thing. I mean, they just announced Google's going to come in here, right? And they're building these big plants. I mean, it's getting wild. I mean, do we had a piece of land come through our marketing channel. Uh, we could have bought, I think for like 600 grand out in Newark before the announcement, we're like, ah, this is trash. That dude sold that piece of land for 7 million bucks just from the announcement. And it's like, damn. And you're like, whoever bought that got a great deal. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think that there's too much growth. There's too many things. We, we in the United States, if, if, if um, China ends up going to war with Taiwan and, they sh and we can't get our chips, I mean, Columbus is ground zero. Like we are the place to go. What are some of those indicators that you look at? There were some like stats that you're sharing offline. Um, I think you look at the national average like purchase price of a property. Yeah. Uh, these are some things to look at, right? Like, okay, if the national average price of a home is 400K and in Columbus it's 300 or whatever that exact number yeah. is, I like to look at like debt to, to debt to income. What are people actually making versus their their debts? Yeah. And then last versus not, what they're going to pay for a house. Exactly. Yeah. And then affordability. Yeah. Right. So what are some of those like key things that when you go down to Miami, you say, yo, Columbus, Ohio, I know our beaches are great. Yeah. But yo, the single family market. I mean, Lake Erie is only two hours, you know, That's right. and Terry will take you on the boat. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think it's pretty simple. And, you know, I try to, I try to make everything simple. That's why I got into real estate because I just, I seen a bunch of idiots that were making money. But they, they, they took simple concepts and they just, they ran with them. And one of the concepts is I look at like our market just being two or three years behind maybe a Charlotte or a Nashville. And when you look at what happened, I would say maybe, you know, maybe five to 10 behind Atlanta. But you look at some of these other markets and it's like, you're just peering into the future. And then you look at their average cost and affordability and you're like, oh, we haven't gotten there yet, but we have all these things going on. And we have, you know, way more jobs that are coming into here than what they do. Yeah, they might have a little bit more sunshine than we do, but you're like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. If this is, if I'm peering in the future in two years, all I got to do is just hang on, keep buying good deals, right? And so that's, I, I mean, honestly, it's as simple as that. Like I was looking, for instance, in, I think it was Nashville, maybe in 2020, I think it was right before the pandemic hit. 
And you couldn't buy a house in Nashville in the hood for less than 200 G's. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, our houses are less than a hundred still. Mm-hmm. This is okay. Great. And if you're like peering into the future, you're like, well, this house in Columbus, Ohio is going to be 200,000. And a lot, I ain't got to wait 10 years. I mean, it's maybe three. So, I mean, it's as simple as that is what I'm looking at. What do you think is the, the best thing someone can do to like just scale their business, their life, their investments? What's like the lowest hanging fruit that they go, can do? Go, go find your local guru. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask to buy them lunch. Ask to pay for their time. Yeah. I'm serious. I, and you know, these, these people, um, don't go to the best marketers, go to the best operators. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know someone's a hell of an operator, go ask them, you know, and those people will be more inclined to take, to, to maybe take, take a lunch from you or take a coffee or whatever. Right. Because they're not well known, mm-hmm. but you know, go find your local guru, man. And, you know, try to figure out what you can do to pick someone's brain. If you got to pay, dude, all you do is just, you paid for their time and you just paid for a massive learning curve. I wish, wish, wish that I would have start paying, started paying for mentors a lot earlier. I mean, I didn't even go to my first real estate event for, shit, it was the end of 2016. I had been buying houses for five, five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Cause you think that you know everything. You're like, oh, I read the book on seller finance. I read the book on the Rico strategy. I read the book on, you know, wholesale and real estate. But then you get these mindset shifts and, just being around other like-minded people makes you do better. Like confidence is a hell of a thing, man. Mm-hmm. And if you can get around other confident people that are doing well and they're sharing their losses too, like you automatically just, I don't know, you level up, man. You get more confident. You start doing more. You start pushing yourself more. I mean, it's fucking cheat code, man. Absolutely. What do you think is going to be the best strategy moving forward? I think it's going to be- uh, Yeah, what do you think? Well, if I'm wrong, we're going to cut this clip out. <laughs> Edit. I think it's very silly to say this, but I believe it's the truth is whatever works for you. That's kind of common sense for me. It's how do I just get a large sum of capital from investors and just put it in bigger deals? The numbers make sense. Here's the worst case scenario. Here's how I get my cut, right? Yeah. But if we're looking at like, okay, I'm going to go buy this residential one to four unit property or this and this, I think it's going to be just creative financing. But I don't think that creative financing, this lovely term that we want to use has ever changed. It's just, we do things a little differently now. For sure. Instead of, instead of giving your private money investor X percent, maybe pay them even more, mm-hmm. right? Instead of getting all your capital back on the refi, in six to 12 months, you keep that private money investors capital in there a little bit longer and then you just give them some cash flow. Yeah, and especially the creative finance. I mean, if you've got, you know, let's say you're buying a creative finance deal and um, let's say it does need work. Well, you don't want to get rid of this 3% mortgage on the back end, but you need 50 grand or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you don't have it, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to borrow it. And guess what? In order to keep that loan in place, can't pay it off. So that means you have to figure out that 50 grand. But if you're talking about a $400,000 house, you know, if you have 400 grand that's tied up in this property on that loan, that means your, your true cost of capital is probably somewhere at four and a half at that point. I mean, I'm probably wrong on my math, but yeah. it's not 12 or 13% that you're paying your private lender. I think too many people get caught up in the numbers that they're paying their private lenders mm-hmm. instead of looking at their total cost of capital in that deal. You know, what's your blended rate of capital? And once you figure that out, like, Creative finance is, I mean, it can be a game changer. But the only issue is if you got to go back in and fix that property up, you don't want to refinance it, you, that money's got to come from somewhere. It's either coming from your bank account because you don't want to give up that 3% mortgage. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you pay down enough debt on this thing to where you're like, you know what, now I got to refinance this thing. But I mean, people have been doing this on commercial assets for God knows how long because investors understand it. Mm-hmm. Trying to get a homeowner to understand it, different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting investors to understand and just people in general that's listening that you're typically in a mortgage, no matter if you're an investor, no matter what type of real estate asset it is for seven years or less. So it's like at some point from the day that you buy it or have rights to it, however you structure the deal, there is a 99.9% chance by the seventh year, you've sold it, you refinance it, you restructure the deal. I think a lot of people look at it deals a little too literal, yeah. look at that spreadsheet a little too too serious. And they say, yeah. well, this area is red, 
or this area is green or the cash flow is not here, the cash flow is not there. For me personally, what works for me, the most simplified way for me to make sense of a deal, how quickly do I get my money back done? That's it. Am I cool getting my capital back in two years, a year, six months, right? And then if it, if there's other benefits from there, I'm like, yeah. So, and, but you know, and again, I think, and there's two ways you can look at that too. You can look at, okay, based on the cash flow of this asset, how quickly am I getting my money back? Mm -hmm. But then there's also the internal rate of return. You know, what type of debt am I on, right? How quickly am I paying this down? How much is it appreciating? What's my tax benefits? So when you bundle and package all that up, you know, you could be getting your money back on paper anyway, a lot more quickly. You're just not getting it in the form of a check. And, but I think we're, people were screwing up. Like I was speaking um, at uh, that IMN conference, I think it was November, I think was when we went. And there was a guy that was there that was buying houses on a 7% internal rate of return. He's not cash flowing on his deals. And I think it was in Dallas, Texas. He's not cash flowing. He's banking on appreciation, which that's where people get in trouble is when you solely are banking on appreciation to buy assets. And I'm like, dude, if I got a 7% internal rate of return in my business, I'm bankrupt. I can't do that. What about the the tax side of things? What about like if he was just raising money uh, from people with a lot of cash that just needed to put it somewhere, somewhere safe? It's different, right? It's yeah. a different situation. I mean, you sell, you, you sell a business, you're like, where am I putting this money? Mm-hmm. Or you sell a huge asset and you're like, um, I, I've already appreciated this thing. I, I don't want to pay all these taxes, you know? I mean, there's programs, dude, you can go into some of these bigger REITs and get, you know, a 4% dividend that's tax advantaged, yeah. you know, you you know, you 1031 into it, mm-hmm. you know, but then you got 1031 back into something else as soon as you're two year or three years done. And not the beauty of this whole thing is there's so many different options, so much shit you can do. Dude, that's what I wanted you to say right there. That was it. That's, that's why I love real estate. There's a thousand ways to do it. And that is exactly the point I was getting at. Yeah. For me, I just want my capital back. And if I'm cool waiting that expected amount of time, yep. yes or no. Perfect. But for some people, they're like, nah, I don't care waiting, blah, blah, blah. I want the cash flow, this and that. So there, that's there, the beauty. there's something I always say about this business because, you know, originally when I was in um, the fitness industry, I'm like, man, I'm, t- I'm so tired of sales. I don't want to deal with people. I'm going to deal with properties. And now all I do is deal with damn people, right? <laughs> it's like, no, dude, this is the most people business there is. Yep. Um, but when you figure that out, it's who needs what when. Who needs what when? And as soon as you figure that out, man, it's like, okay, what do you need? Man, I got, I got some money on the sideline and I, you know, but I don't want to, I don't need it. So I just, I want to see it grow. Maybe I need a little bit of dividend because it's off a line of credit. You just figure out who needs what when. And then, you know, just, Take your paintbrush and paint the deal for them. Yeah. And you figure that out. Like, hey, I might need deals. Great. Wholesalers understand that. They're probably going to be able to bid those properties up to me. You know, yeah. or hey, I got a 1031 coming up. You got 45 days, bro. I'm upselling your ass. So it's just figuring out who needs what when, right? And you have to make enough relationships to be able to fully understand that. And then that's how you make money in this business. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's money, time, whatever, right? What do you see with the current situation here in Columbus, uh, like, you know, everyone in town, you know, all the investors that got, just got started yesterday. You know, the people yeah. that's been around the block for 10 years. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, you know, a lot of people have good properties with equity, with low debt on it, uh, outside of managing, right? Outside yeah. of like mismanaging. Do you think some of these guys and girls are going to be starting to sell deals off left and right? Or do you think people already, for the most part are in a good spot? I think you're already seeing it. Yeah. Already seeing it. And, you know, I think, the people that, I mean, and people have mindset shifts, right? So, and, and different life situations, um, case in point, um, there's a, uh, I don't even want to say young man, but I'll say young man that is understanding his life has changed. And now it's not, okay, I want to hold on to these things for 10 years and then sell them. It's like, dude, I need cash flow now. So then mm-hmm. if you need cash flow now and you bought in shitty areas, right? And you're having to turn these, these shitty properties in these shitty areas, Dude, you're, uh, you need cash flow, right? And so it, I think it just, it, it depends on life situation too, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, if your life situation changes and you're like, hey, I want to move down to, uh, I don't know, I want to go to Denver, Colorado and hike. I want my six grand a month or 10 grand a month or whatever it is. I'm, I don't care about the growth. Mm-hmm. Just different situations. I think I answered that question, but 
I think you're starting to see people just understanding real estate and their life situations differently. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's any market too. Any market you're gonna have people that's, hey man, I mean, how many times we get that call? Dude, F this B man, you know, I'm getting a divorce. I don't want her to have the house. I'm gonna sell it to you and I'm out of here. I'm going to Florida in in, in a week, you buy it. So I mean, I think life situation, that'll always be there for real estate. Absolutely, I think the the life situation is key, right? Like I have a, I call it a trade up strategy where I'm strategically getting rid of properties and throwing them out there. Hey, the market will take it, great. If not, don't need to, but ideally I wanna strategically get into these bigger deals, yeah. right? So just let's keep testing, see what the market will do, see what the market will do uh, and, and kind of go from there. But I think what's gonna be interesting now that we're two to three years in from a massive appreciation where people, again, a lot of mistakes are coming up. You think up it's two to three market. years? Uh, no, I'm saying two to three years from, I'm, I'm going up to 2020. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So well, at least what I'm, what I recognize myself personally buying way more real estate in the last couple of years and then people in our network, Yeah. right? I think we're going to really see, okay, who kind of dialed in their systems, processes, people, yeah. strategy, while life was happening, Yeah. right? So you throw those things in there. But yeah, if you want my prediction, again, if I'm wrong, we're going to cut this clip. If I'm right, we're going to run this shit up for years. I think that a lot of my indicators uh, point at 2025. But I also think that being in the mortgage industry, right? And just seeing the average credit score, the average income, assets, equity built into a property, uh, where the whole economic state is in the United States and globally, all these different intangible variables. I think that I would be very, very shocked if real estate especially one to four unit residential from a macroeconomic standpoint ever goes into a, a crash in the next 10 years. Realistically to cover my ass here, the next yeah. five years. But I think we'll see things very micro and I think we've already yeah. seen it. Yeah, I, I mean, think different cities are different, different neighborhoods in those cities, different streets on those different neighborhoods are different. Whereas um, before, right? Like when you got in, it was like, Everyone was fucked. Everyone, dude. But now yeah. it's going to be, hey, Columbus is crushing, but these three zip codes are getting destroyed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, dude, when um, I was doing mortgages in 2013, we could not do a mortgage, not, we could do a mortgage in, in Nevada, couldn't do it in Vegas. Could, we could do mortgages in Arizona, couldn't do them in Phoenix. We couldn't do, we could do mortgages in California, couldn't do them in San Francisco. We could do mortgages in New York, not in New York City. So it was stuff like that. Um, I think you're definitely going to see that. And so I, I think for me, there's a couple factors. We can't build a house for what we can buy it for. So especially here, if we want to build a house that people are actually going to want, they're, I mean, we just can't, can't build it. Can't make the economics work. So naturally you're going to see the houses that are underneath that price point continue to go up, right? Which is the stuff I invest in, starter homes. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, people are in fixed rate mortgages for the most part. So it's not like their mortgages are jumping the way that our commercial mortgages are, mm -hmm. right? So I think you're going to start seeing these investor products. Like I had one mortgage. I just, I forgot about it. It's with this small podunk bank, but my mortgage jumped from three and three and uh, three quarters, 3.75, all the way up to eight and a half percent in one month. Mm -hmm. It was my adjustment period. What happens when, you know, an investor forgets about that stuff? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can handle it, but like a lot of these guys that are, you know, own four, 10 units, like they're not gonna be able to handle that. Right. So, but at the same time, most people are fixed. So that doesn't lead to anything crazy. And we haven't built houses. It's starter houses where people rent the stuff that the hedge funds want and, and they want to buy. You just can't build it, man. So I just, I don't see, I, I don't see any factors besides, you know, um, interest rates going to 10, 12%. They could really macro affect it in the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm, I'm very biased. I think that if you're buying like the more starter, homes, which is definitely more your strategy. I think that's how you're going to win. Or you have to be, if I'm giving like one or two options here, yeah. it, or it's what I'm doing. Like you just have to go into those bigger deals and have a team and, and things in place where you're doing less deals, but significantly larger. Mm -hmm. I think if you're anywhere in between, obviously it can work for you. It obviously depends on yeah. your life and your situation, not to discourage anyone. It just, that's what we're seeing in general. Yeah. It's like everything in every industry usually does just like a, the, the wealth gap just expands, yeah. right? So you got to be over here. Personally, I'm like, I'm too late. Like you can't, it's really hard to find those deals and I don't have the systems, processes, things in place. You got, other, you got way more other, more other shit going on, man. Yeah. So it's like, I'd rather just raise money for 
one or two deals a year, yeah. right? That are just way bigger and then pass it off. And I get sure. my cut and move on. But I think finding that in between, you can still absolutely do it. It's just going to be really hard. I, I think the other interesting thing that's going to happen is cash continues to get sucked out of the system. You're going to see less and less CapEx be spent on these rental properties, on these apartments. And, you know, depending on how bad it gets and how much cash get, really gets sucked out, how much has already been sucked out of the system, if you don't have cash to go in and renovate your place, what's going to happen to rents? They're going to come down. They're going to fall because someone's going to go to a renovated property. So I, I don't, it's going to be interesting for sure. I may be wrong, but I think as more and more cash gets sucked out of the system, that's the only, uh, the only way you're going to see even the, the rents, you know, start to come down because you can't find anywhere to live. But here's the other um, cool point too, is if you look at like other places in the world, Australia, Europe, they're paying 50% of their, yeah. their income on rent or mortgage or way more. You go to Paris what are people paying 70%, 60%? Like it's wild, right? And now you have these affordable affordable housing justice warriors that are like 30% is too much and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we have another 20 or 30% to go. And I'm all for affordable housing and people being able to afford their bill and all that stuff. I All for it. But we have to make the economics work too. So we need some of our politicians start putting some policies in place. Instead of regulating us, invest in us. Don't regulate the shit out of us because it's going to hurt everybody. Invest in us. So that way we can invest in the people we're ultimately trying to help. And one thing I don't think that's talked about enough is what I refer to as the, the new digital economy that we're in. Mm. Like I'm absolutely going to pay 20, 30, 40% more in rent or for a mortgage for my housing expense because we all work from home. Yeah. So you're going to, Overpay. Most people overpay now because they're like, well, I don't have to go to the office as much or at all, or I'm creating digital content like this so I can have this be my, my office, <clears throat> the extra bedroom, the extra this. People just value their home way more. So I think outside of just like economics from a global standpoint and then from a United States standpoint, I'm a hillbilly from Ohio. I'm not super well-traveled internationally, but I do know that Europe, other markets, it's significantly more expensive to own a home. And they're way smaller. And they're way smaller, way shittier. At least that's what Terry was telling me off camera. So if you're from <laughs> Europe, sorry. Sorry. No, I mean, I, and, and again- it, The lifestyle I, change, right? Yeah. So I was, uh, we're, we're hiring a bunch of v, uh, virtual assistants and I, I, we're on the same page with virtual assistants. I think it's game changer. And, uh, but, you know, some of the conversations I have with these, these people is like, well, I can either spend three hours trying to get to work and then it's, you know, it dies down later. So I might spend two. So that's five hours out of my day. I could be productive. I'm like, damn, I never really thought about it like that. And especially in places where it's hard to travel, Philippines, AKA Philippines, you know, you got mudslides or storms or, you know, traffic, whatever. They're like, I would just rather work from home, stay up all night. And then I have an extra five hours out of my day. It's, it, it, I mean, it's just a lifestyle change. So then Americans, we're starting to get on the same train. Exactly. So we're like, hey, I don't want to spend, you know, four hours in traffic just to have a bigger house. Yeah, and just to go even deeper with it, it's like you have maybe some tax advantages because you can write, you know, your rent or different things off on your mortgage, consult with your own tax counsel. But then you also have like the wear and tear of a car, just your time. And actually, I'll just take a pay cut, go work for this other company because they let me work from home. That allows me to go do X, Y, Z, save 10 hours a week, yeah. enjoy more time doing this, get a side hustle. I think that's one thing that not many people are talking about enough is the lifestyle change that happened when they close the world down, yeah. we go, oh yeah, I'm going to go get the four bedroom versus a three bedroom and pay 20% more of my income because it actually makes me 60% more of my income yeah. in time. Yeah. You don't have the, you don't have the, the giant gas guzzling car, you know, maybe you cut down to one car instead of two. And it's electric so they can shut it off whenever you're not paying your taxes. <laughs> Whatever tickles your fancy, right? Um, but you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a huge mindset shift. My, my question be, becomes, you know, because we, we deal with a lot of, lot of different people with as many, you know, properties we have and applicants and what people's mindsets and what they think. It's like, eventually some people are going to have to go to like, go to work. Not everyone can create digital content. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has the, the, just the, the skill set to do something like this. I mean, you, I mean, you got to have skill set to do stuff like this. The face it, like this, you got to have. Like, yeah, man, the, the hair, you know, that's why I rock a hat all the time. I ain't got none. Um, so I, you know, it just, it, you, you got to have people that are doing different things in the economy and everyone wants to do the same stuff. 
but eventually like, when does that wear out? When do people realize like, man, I wasn't meant to do X, Y, Z, or I wasn't, and I'm not like knocking on people's dreams, but you know, there's a, uh, there's gotta be people all around in the economy doing different things. I agree. All right, bro. Uh, I think that's, that's a good, good show here. I appreciate you coming on. What's, what's one thing you want to leave people with? Uh, can I do a plug? Fucking run. All right. Uh, Instagram at, at Terry Sums. That's T A R R Y Sums. Uh, hit me up on Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and please watch our Scalers Only show, uh, which premieres every single Wednesday. Uh, other than that, I'm an open book. Appreciate you being here. And if there's any way that I can help any of your viewers, uh, that's what I'm here for. You've been around the block, man. And I think it's going to really start paying ways. off. So I think you're in a great spot. You've done the good, the bad, the ugly. I think that you've got the scars on the back to say, like, ah, oh, here we go. I think you're going to see a lot of upside based Appreciate on it, what man. I've recognized and what the market's doing. Um, so if you guys are in central Ohio, Columbus, definitely hit up Terry. Or America. Yeah. But if you're in North Korea, it's going to be a little difficult for you. Uh, and definitely check him out online. <laughs> see you guys in the next show. Peace. Thanks, man.